all God's kids said, amen, amen. Please have a seat. Amen. Guys, we are in a series uh, walking to the book or the letter of James written by the brother of Jesus, James, um, and it's titled Faith That Works. And, and when we say faith that works, it's not, we're not talking about, or maybe we should ask the question, are we talking about a, a, um, a, a power system? Are we talking about uh, a belief that gets us what we want? What is it that faith that works? And today we're going to dive into part of that passage in James that's really a difficult passage because it's called faith at works or, or faith that works or, or faith without works is dead. And it's this very difficult passage that a lot of people struggle with. Is it by my works that I'm saved and what are those works? Is it by my faith that God loves me and what is that faith? So we're going to dive in and read this passage and see if we can kind of unpack it it's a lot there. We could probably take six weeks to do it. We're, I'm going to try to unpack it in one day, and so we're going to be on a, on a rapid train, all right? So if you open with your Bibles, or if you want, it's going to be on the screen. James chapter 2, verses 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Great question, right? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and be filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say to you, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited or counted to him as righteousness. And he was called friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the sin is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Let's pray. God, I don't want people to hear Mike Massey today. Father, we want to hear your word. We want to hear what you have to say to us through the life of Abraham. And we want to hear what you're telling us about faith and works and how we live a life, a lives or life that is powerful and effective. Amen. Amen. So guys, that's a lot of scripture to unpack. And I'm not going to try to do that. We're going to, and rather than unpack or, or define faith or define works or try to tell you what that looks like or how, you know, we're going to look at the life of Abraham. We're going to just pick out the, the four or five verses right there in the middle about Abraham, verse, starting in verse 21 there. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? And so I want to look at the life of Abraham and just kind of see an example or an illustration of faith and works living together that God, Scripture says, it was credited to him as righteousness. Why? Because of his good deeds? Why? Because he did good things? No, because he believed God. 
So, as we look at the life of Abraham, his life was broken up in four parts or four stages. And so we're going to look at the four stages of his life. We're going to walk briefly as quickly through Genesis, those four stages. And I would say four stages of faith, not just life. And I want you to think or keep in mind three things when we look at each stage of his life. Keep it right here in the front of your mind as we look at each stage. The first thing is this. Abraham was a man who committed great sin and was seriously flawed. Like we're not talking about a saint here. We're not talking about a guy that, that was perfect, that had perfect deeds, that maybe went to church every Sunday, twice on Sunday, once on Wednesday. We're not talking about a guy, I don't know if he had a foul mouth or a clean mouth. I have no idea. We don't know necessarily, but we know that this guy was flawed and he committed a lot of sins. Let's talk about them. Twice, twice he pretended that his wife was his sister and let her go live and actually be with another man because he was afraid to get killed. Now, husbands, I don't know about you, but if I did that to my wife, I would not be married any longer, right? Twice he gave her up because he was afraid that he would get killed. He lied on multiple occasions because of fear. He then went on when God gave him a promise of a future and a son, he went on and slept with his wife's maidservant. Now, culturally, things were different back then, but still, he didn't trust God. He slept with his wife's maidservant to have a son that was out of wedlock. Again, due to fear and fear of his wife. And finally, he fled to Egypt during famine, again, because of fear. See, to me, I think, is that a guy who has great faith? And yet scripture says this guy had faith and it was credited to him as righteousness. The second thing I want you to keep in mind was Abraham was called a man of extraordinary faith and called righteous simply because he believed God. In spite of what he did with his flaws, he was called a man of extraordinary faith and was called righteous simply because he believed God. He never wrote a book of the Bible. His name was mentioned 230 times in the entire Bible, more than any other person. Abraham's faith was not a power force or a formula or a method to get what he wanted, to get God to move in his direction. See, Abraham's faith was simple. Abraham's faith said, I trust you, God, and I trust that you are God and I am not. Abraham's faith said, I trust you are good even when I can't see it. And Abraham's faith said, I surrender to you in spite of what I can or cannot see. And I say yes to you, God, whatever you ask me to do or wherever you call me to go. That was great faith. You see, what we're going to talk about today is great faith is great surrender. And it's not surrender to a power force. And it's not surrender to an idea or an agenda. It's not a surrender to my way. It's a surrender to a good, good God in spite of what I can see or what I feel. It says, I trust your heart, your plan, your will, your purpose, and I will go and do whatever it is you ask me because you are God and you are good. Shoo. The third thing that I want you to keep in mind was that at each stage of, of Abraham's life, at each faith point, at each crossroads, he built an altar to the Lord. 
What was an altar? An altar was rough hewn. It was often rocks. It was often stacked up. And, and altars were built when something big happened, when it signified a big event. And an altar signified worship and surrender. An altar declared this land is mine. An altar was built when God did something big and the builder's response was to declare, I am surrendered to the one whom I worship. I belong to the one whom I'm building this altar to. So those are the three things I want you to keep in mind as we look at each stage of Abraham's life. So the first stage in Genesis chapter 12, if you wanna turn there, but otherwise it's gonna be on the screen, Genesis chapter 12, verses one through seven. It says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from our, your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old. It's never too late, people. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So the first stage of Abram's life, he was 70 years old, 75, his father dies. Is this his salvation experience? Is this his moment that he meets God for the very first time? We don't hear of him ever before this in scripture. This is the time, is this the time where he says yes to the Lord, just like I did when I was 12 years old? Is that the moment? He had no Google Maps, he was going to a place sight unseen, didn't know what it was, didn't know who would be there, didn't know if there were giants in the land, what he would face, but he said yes, because here's what is true about faith. Faith goes when asked. Faith goes when asked. Faith just says, yes, I'm gonna go when asked. And there he builds an altar. He builds it at Shechem. Shechem, you'll see there up on the screen. The word Shechem means back or shoulders, to place all one's burdens or promises on another's shoulders. It literally means to be all in. If you've ever played poker or if you ever watched the professional poker league, you'll see when they slide it all in and they say, I'm all in. I'm betting all my chips. I'm betting all that I've got left. I'm all in. And this was Abraham's moment, or Abram at the time, his moment when he says, I'm all in with you, God. I don't know where we're going. I don't know what it means. I don't know what you have for me. I don't know what you have for my future. I'm 75 years old. And most people at 75, they're retiring, they're quitting, they're dropping out. It's the end. And he's saying, I'm all in with you. Whatever you wanna do, I'm with you. That was his first faith stage. The second stage, Genesis 12, 8. It says, from there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward Negeb. See, he gets to Canaan 
He gets where he thinks is the promised land. He gets where he thinks God has told him, I'm going to give this to you as an inheritance. But then he's got to go on through. And he goes on through there and he didn't get to live in the land that was promised. He ended up living in tents as a nomad, as a wanderer, as scripture talks about. He lived as a stranger in a foreign land. Does it sound like us or as we're supposed to be? Because here's the thing that is also true about faith. Faith dwells anywhere God asks. Faith dwells anywhere God asks. And he builds his second altar, and it's at the place called Bethel. The word Bethel there means house of God or dwelling place. You see, where we live, you guys, is not physical. We've got to get the mentality as followers of Jesus that our home is not physical. We are foreigners. We are aliens in a strange land. This is not our permanent dwelling place. This is temporary. Thank God that this body is temporary because it's decaying quickly. But this is not my permanent home. My dwelling place, it's not physical because I live wherever God lives. I go wherever he goes. I am with him in every regard. My dwelling place is with God. Faith says, no matter my circumstances, I dwell with you and my home is with you. That's faith. The third stage of Abram's life, if you'll flip with me to chapter 13, Verses 14 through 18. It says, Then the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from them, they stood together. Abram looked at the two plots of land. He said, this way is towards Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot made the bad choice. He said, this way is free, but it's desert. It's wilderness. And Abram said, Lot, take your pick. And Lot said, well, I want to go pitch my tents by the city. And Abram said, okay, I'm going to go pitch my tents in the wilderness. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see, I will give you to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if you count, if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring will also be counted. Arise, walk to the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abraham moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. See, now Abram's in his 90s. Now he still has a barren wife. He still doesn't have a child. Now he still has no child of the promise. And he is a foreigner in a strange land, as we talked about. And because this is what happens with faith in the deeper surrender, faith trusts God will do whatever He is promised to do. Faith trusts that God will do whatever he has promised to do. And it's there that he builds his third altar. And it's the altar at Hebron. The word Hebron there means friend, intimate ally. It literally means I am in league with no other. I am yoked up with no one else. I am in league with one person and one person only. Do you see the progression so far? He has this salvation experience, if that's what it was, where he says, I'm all in with you, God. And then he says, all right, now I'm, I'm in a strange land. My dwelling place is with you and you alone. And then he says, 
I am in league with no one else. I am an intimate ally, a friend of God that God calls me friend and says, as Jesus said to us, no longer do I call you servants because servants don't know their master's business. I call you friends, intimate allies, because a friend knows the inner secrets, the inner thoughts, the deep places of each other's hearts. Wow. That's what we've been invited into. We've not been invited to a religion. We've been invited to a faith. But it requires surrender. Great faith is great surrender. So the fourth and final stage of Abraham's life. If you'll turn with me to, Abraham, uh, to Genesis chapter 22. We're going to look at the biggest test of Abraham's life. It's a long scripture, chapters, uh, chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. And in this place, between stages 3 and 4 of his life, Abram is now 100. He's now slept with his maidservants, his wife's maidservant. He's had a child by the name of Ishmael. He's now asked to sacrifice that promise. And that's what we find in this story. And Isaac was not like he was a six months old. He was now somewhere in the neighborhood of seven, eight, nine, maybe 10. And this very promise that he had waited his entire life for that was going to fulfill the promise of the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. And God says, time to sacrifice. And here's what we read. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on Isaac, his son. Can you imagine? And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, hey, dad, Where's the sacrifice? Where's the offering, Dad? He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here am I. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, out of the Lord, it shall be provided. Here's the last and final stage. You see, faith worships and surrenders 
in any and all circumstances. Faith worships and surrenders in spite of tests. Faith worships and surrenders in spite of good times. Faith worships and surrenders in spite of hard times. Faith worships and surrenders in the midst of tragedy. Faith worships and surrenders in the midst of great financial success because faith says, you are God and I am not. You are good and I trust your goodness. You define the word goodness, I do not. I will go where you say go. I will dwell with you anywhere. I am in league with you and you alone. And now my life will be a life of worship. And he built that altar there. And that altar there was built at Moriah. And it means land of worship or land of vision. Or literally, as Abraham said, the Lord will provide. See, what does worship do? Worship, and I don't mean just a worship experience on Sunday. I mean a life of worship that lives with eyes lifted up. See, worship fixes our gaze on the Father. Worship keeps our gaze, our eyes lifted up. Worship says, I will lift up my eyes into the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord and the Lord only. See, guys, we spend so much of our time looking down, trying to figure things out, trying to do it on our own, trying to live in our own strength, trying to figure out the way that I can make my life work for me or how I can get God to move in my direction instead of saying, I trust you. My eyes are lifted up and they're fixed on you. Note that that altar was built before the test and before the surrender. We gotta have lives of worship. Lives that live with our gaze fixed on the Father. Worship, faith worships and surrenders in every and all circumstances. And see, here's the thing. In worship and surrender, the Lord provides. He provides. And it may not be the thing that we think we want, but it will always be the thing that we need. Did you see the progression? The progression of his life? I'm all in with you, God. I'm putting all my burdens on your shoulders. I'm putting all my promises on your shoulders. I will dwell with you and with you alone because you are my dwelling place. I'm in league with no other. I am a friend of God. I'm an intimate ally with you and my life will be a life of worship. My vision, my gaze will stay fixed on you every day all day long in spite of what I can and cannot see because you are God, you sit on the throne, and you are good. See, that calls us into some weird places sometimes. That invites us to do some weird stuff sometimes. And I'm not saying we're supposed to be weird for the sake of being weird, but see, faith and works is not about I'm gonna go help an old lady across the street. It might be that if the Lord tells me to go do it. Faith is not necessarily just being nice. Unless the Lord tells me to be nice to somebody. And generally speaking, we're supposed to be. Faith is not about being a well-behaved, in-line believer who doesn't smoke or drink or cuss. I'm not saying you should do those things, but that's not what faith is about. Faith is surrender. So about four years ago, I took a group of 12 guys to Haiti. We went on a trip just to go, you know, I've been on 
many, many mission trips. My family laughs at me because they seem to think that my number gets higher every time I tell the story. It's not true. I've been on 48 mission trips. And so I like to take men and women on these mission trips to go experience and encounter God and, and, and see faith in action, live it, feel it, experience it, breathe it, get to know God, encounter him in a different place when we're free from distractions. So I took these 12 guys to, to Haiti and my closest friend, my brother, closest friend beside my wife and family, my closest friend and brother, Richard, who goes on a lot of these with me, was with us and we arrived in, in Haiti and we had all these guys from D.C. with us. So we arrive in Haiti and we decided one day to head off to this village to help with some orphan work and some different things. We didn't know what we were going to do. We were just going to go arrive at this village and we were going to meet up with a pastor there, a local uh, Haitian pastor. So we pulled in the village and we had like three cars with all 12 of us. And these are all like, like D.C. guys, right? They're, they're power jobs, you know, and, and, and so they were wanting to experience some stuff and they wanted to see some stuff. And I didn't know what we were going to encounter. I just was showing up. We pull into this village and immediately I started sensing this darkness or this evil and I couldn't explain it. And I get out of the car and I look over and this massive tree was over here to my right. And I just thought, that is so dark. There's, it's darkness. But I thought, okay, I, I'm just... I've just, I've been worshiping, so I'm having a little, I'm a little bit high on Jesus, and maybe I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I'm making this a little bit too big, or maybe it's more than what I think, but I keep thinking, this is dark, and, and then as I'm standing there looking at this tree, I kid you not, I felt like the Lord said, I want you to march around that tree seven times like they did the walls of Jericho, and I'm like, I am not doing that. I will look crazy. And the Lord was like, no, I'm telling you, I want you to march around that tree seven times and I'm literally gonna uproot it out of the ground. And then I thought, okay, I'm really crazy. Like I'm nuts. Like God, wait, God, you're saying the tree's coming up out of the ground and I'm just kind of standing there having this debate with God while the 12 guys are kind of like moving around, looking around. And finally Richard sidles up to me and he said, what are you thinking? And I said, dude, this place is evil. And Richard goes, it's the tree. I'm like, yeah, it's the tree it's the tree, right? And he's like, it's the tree. I'm like, what is it about that tree? He's like, I don't know, but it's dark. And I said, dude, I'm telling you, this is crazy, like really crazy. I feel like the Lord says, march around that tree seven times and it's gonna literally get uprooted out of the ground. Well, you don't know my friend Richard, but when I'm going someplace, he's going with me. Everybody needs a friend like Richard. And so he's like, all right, we're going. So he starts stepping towards the tree and I'm like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like if we go towards that tree and it literally gets uprooted from the ground, you know we're getting killed, right? You know the village is gonna kill us or we're marching around this tree and we're gonna look like idiots because nothing happens. He's like, oh, I don't care. We're going around the tree. I'm like, all right, let's go around that tree. And I huddle up with the other guys and I'm like, hey, fellas, I know this is weird. I know you people think I'm crazy sometimes, but this is what I feel like the Lord and, and it's the tree. And they all go, the tree, you're right. It's the tree. We felt it too. And I'm like, well, now I'm more emboldened. We're walking around this tree. We're gonna look like complete idiots or we're getting killed, but we're going down in a blaze of glory. So then I turn to the pastor and I say, pastor, this tree, and he goes, oh yes, it's a voodoo tree. It's a tree where they sacrifice and have sacrificed for years, centuries, humans. And now today we're not sure if they still sacrifice humans or not, but they definitely sacrifice animals. And if you go around the other side of the tree, there's a shrine there with bones and blood and candles and knives and all. And so I'm like, I'm really emboldened now 
this tree is coming down. And I got 12 guys that are getting killed with me. Sheena's got the insurance money, we're going. So I start moving towards this tree with some, you know, of course the 12 guys besides Richard were like, good luck, Mike. (laughs) So we start moving towards that tree and all of a sudden, out of this house comes running this man with a stick in his hand and he's making noise and he moves between Richard and me and the tree as I'm moving towards that tree and he's standing there screaming something in Haitian and I'm like, okay, this is interesting as he's waving this stick around. And so I'm asking the translator, what's being said? Well, he's saying, you're not going around that tree. You see, what was happening was light was encountering darkness or better put, darkness was encountering light. And out of nowhere comes this man. Well, it turned out he was the witch doctor. He was the one that performed the rituals of sacrifice. And there it was. And so I'm like, we're still going around this tree. And you're, you might have to beat Richard with that stick, but we're going around that tree. Richard could probably take you. But then all of a sudden, the pastor moves over beside the witch doctor. And he starts waving his hand saying, no, no, fear, fear gripping him. He says, no, 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 you're not walking around that tree. You're not going near that tree. And I think the Lord just whispered, just like he said to Jesus back 2,000 years ago, and he could do no great work there because of their unbelief. Now, here's the thing, guys. I have no idea had I been able to walk around that tree if it would have literally or physically been uprooted. I have no idea. I'm not proclaiming or thinking that it would. I, have, I maybe would have walked around that tree and looked like a complete and utter fool. It maybe would have been something spiritually that took place. I don't know. But what I do know is I don't want to live a life that is not surrendered in faith that says I will go wherever you call me to go and I'll do whatever you ask me to do because my life is surrendered to you. That is a life that is faith at works. It is not about being well-behaved. It's a life that says, I'm surrendered to you. Here's the thing. Faith says, God, you are good. I believe you are who you say you are. I believe that I am who you say that I am. I believe you will do everything you have promised to do. I believe you can do everything I ask, but even if you do not, you're faithful and I will trust you. I will go where you ask. I will dwell with you everywhere and I will trust you and my life will be a life of surrender and worship. As Cole comes and plays, let's just... I don't know where you are in your faith journey. I don't know if you're at the beginning like Abraham was. I don't know if you're at the end or the middle. And and I don't know, you know, altar calls sometimes. This is not an altar call. This is just a time for you to just say, Lord, I don't know, but I want to be in with you. I want to trust you, and I want to have a life that looks like a life of Abraham. I want to have a life of impact that says I trust you. I'm all in. I will dwell with you. I'm in league with you. And my life will be a life of worship. You stand with me? Just take a moment. Just tell the Father where you are. He's threatened by nothing. He overreacts to nothing. Nothing catches him off guard. 
nothing surprises him. He's not looking for kids or men and women who are going to be religious, who say the right stuff, who are well-behaved. He wants men and women, children, who say, Dad, I trust you. I'm in with you. Jesus. As we worship for a last song, and I know that if you need to put a mask on, please do, and, and, but if you want to pray with somebody, if you, if you want to pray by yourself, if you want to sit in your chair, get on your knees, or stand, or I, I don't care. God doesn't care. He doesn't care the posture you take. He knows, he sees, he hears. He knows right where you are. He knows your circumstances. He knows your fears. He knows your worries. He knows your anxieties. Hmm. He's not inviting you into religion. He's not inviting you in to come be well-behaved. He's not inviting you to come perform certain acts. He's saying, I just want you to trust me and live a life like you do. But if you want to pray with somebody, please don't miss the opportunity. Don't miss the opportunity to say, okay, today, Lord, today, wherever I am in life, it's a new day. I'm driving a stake in the ground. I'm building an altar because I believe you are God, I am not. And I believe you are good in spite of what I see and what I cannot see.